Hello and welcome to the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by the team behind RadioTimes.com. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. My name's Hugh Fullerton. My name's Morgan Jeffrey. Uh, and this week we are tunneling back, is that the right word? Falling back into our own personal time streams of when we just watched Doctor Who's latest episode. That totally makes sense, the thing I just said. There's no need for me to have a script. Who needs to write this stuff down? Who needs to plan this stuff? Not me, that's for sure. Uh, Yeah, we're obviously talking about this week's new Doctor Who episode, Once Upon Time. Not to be confused with Twice Upon a Time. Um, It's a completely different thing. And yeah, it's the uh, third episode of Doctor Who Flux. And it was pretty exciting. We'll have our review and our kind of analysis of that episode later on first up though it's who news our section about who news and who knew it <laughs> we knew it i don't i was sort of really going to push this pun until everyone totally understands what i'm talking about um but yeah this is the section where we quickly at the moment uh just talk about some of the stuff uh the doctor who news that broke in the week uh first off we have something i think morgan you're going to talk about which is um Lydia West, who obviously is, you know, one of the people people say could be the next Doctor after Jodie Whittaker. And we recently were able to catch up with her for a bit of a chat about uh, Portrait Artist of the Year. And obviously we couldn't resist asking her a bit about Doctor Who, could we? No, of course, you've got to get those questions in there when you have the chance. And yeah, we spoke to uh, to Lydia, as you say, for Portrait Artist of the Year, put a couple of uh, Doctor Who questions for her, and you can read her clo- her quotes uh, exclusively now on uh, on RadioTimes.com. She talks about uh, the rumours that she might be uh, stepping up as the next Doctor when Russell T Davies takes back over as uh, a showrunner. Um, and she also talks a little bit about what she thinks Russell will bring to the show uh, when he returns, the modern vision uh, that she thinks he will bring when he takes up the mantle once again. So that's very exciting. Uh, we won't tell you absolutely everything she says because you've got to read it. You've got to read it on the website and uh, help us out. Uh, but yeah, so that's really exciting. I mean, who knows what's actually going to happen with that era. We're very excited, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, we also have this week uh, some interesting news about the current series. Basically just every week we have this more or less, but they've announced a new title. So we already knew that episode four was called Village of the Angels, but we've now learned mm-hmm. the penultimate episode, episode five, uh, is called Survivors of the Flux. Dun dun dun. Mm. Which I think, We're, after watching this episode, we kind of maybe have a bit more of an idea of than when it was first announced last week, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. If it, you know the, the 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 context of that title, um, episode three plays into that a lot, right? You presume it's it's referring to potentially. I think. Um, we'll get onto this and why this might be, but I think Vinder might not appear in episode four. We're not sure, mm. but it seems like that might be the case. He parts ways with the TARDIS team at the end of episode three. Potentially he and Bell, uh, the survivors of the Flux, could come back into play in episode five, the penultimate episode. Yeah, so we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, but before we get to all that, uh, that's the end of Who News. You barely knew it. And it's already gone. Uh, we also have another interview this week. Uh, so we were lucky enough to chat to another member of the TARDIS team. Uh, Mandip Gill, who plays Yaz, has done since 2018. Uh, and yeah, so we chatted to Mandip about Series 13 and, uh, you know, her future in the show, Jodie leaving, all the classic, the classic hits. Uh, and you can listen to that interview now. So Mandip, how's things? Are you still filming? Uh, still filming. It's going good. We've done so well. We're coming up to the end and we, oh, we've somehow, touch wood, managed to avoid COVID stopping production. And naturally, that's, I think, the main aim of this year was to try and continue to create a series. So that's good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I spoke to John and he said he managed to get COVID just on his holidays. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people that have had it, so it's like no one's had it. It's just happened at quite convenient times when we had a little, um, you know, an organised stand down. Like you say, John got it in Christmas. There's been times, you know, if people have got it, it's only been like only slight things have changed. We've carried on, we've mm. not stopped, um, which I think is testimony to the whole crew that are there. Everyone's doing everything they can do. But it has, it has, it's been hard. It's been this process has been longer than the series that I'd done before, hmm. and like we're going through a lot of COVID tests, a lot of protocols, trying to protect each other, all that kind of stuff. So it has been a lot more on top of what you're already doing. You're already doing quite like big scenes, working with new people. You know, the dialogue's quite like sometimes the words for me are quite hard to get my head around. So it's just added another layer. But actually, we're coming to the end successfully, and that's actually all we wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I guess it must have as well been kind of an emotional year with Jody uh, Jody's exit, which I guess you must have known about for a while. Yeah, it, you know, you didn't you don't think about it because you're just doing it, and actually, it's a long process. And you come to Cardiff and you're in the moment and you enjoy it, and you think, well, that's next year. But it's only now, in the last, I'd say, like week or so, there's been some tears shedded, not from me. I'm cold-hearted. But where I do realise that actually it is it is the end of that chapter and we're so lucky to have done any years, but we're really lucky to have actually managed to film this series. Mm. But there is definitely, there's definitely something in the air now where we all realise that what we've been doing is coming to an end. So um, obviously you you guys, you and Jodie were really close with uh, Brad and Tosin, uh, who obviously have moved on and John's come in. Um, are you guys still in touch? And has there been any jealousy? Are they a little, are they a little you know, threatened by this new figure in your life? No, so we talk to Tosin and Brad all the time. The WhatsApp room is still going off with memes and Brad telling us about his job. Tosin's in America doing so well. And we have such a good, like, a good laugh in there. We've also obviously got a new WhatsApp group with John. I think what we did without realising, John came in and we're like, oh, when Brad, last year was Brad the day, it was so funny. And as a joke, he was like, oh, my God, I've heard non-stop things about Brad this, Brad that. They're obviously friends outside. But we just couldn't help. Like, it weren't even comparing. Like, something had happened. It was completely irrelevant to what John was doing. And we are like, oh, and when Brad did that, that was so funny. And then we burst out laughing. So I think without us realising, we probably were like, Brad this, Brad that. When we did this, we went to South Africa in our first year. Oh, my God, Tosin fell off a car. And we just couldn't help it. We just couldn't help it. But honestly, it took, it took it so well. But we also did we also did um, some games outside that we did for, we'll do for that, I think it's for their social media. And I actually mixed up John's character with Graham. I just thought that's just the icing on the cake. This is not what he wants to hear. <laughs> wow. Um, what was it like to face the Sontarans? Oh, my God, they were so cute. And also there were, we, we did one scene where there was loads of them and there was actually women in the, the Sontaran costume. But mm. there, there were st- stunt women. And so then they just got shot down and all these, like, little potato head things just, like, fell on the floor. But they had, <laughs> they, they, they were so, there was one scene, and I won't say what it is, because actually it's a really fun scene, I won't say who it is, but it, I got there, and they were like, go look at the Sontaran! And it were doing something, and you'll you'll know what I mean when you see it. Okay. Like, that's such, a, that's such an image, like... I don't, it, it was just so good to have seen it with my own eyes and not and it not be something that I've actually discovered with the audience when you watch it because there's lots of things that I put in there after all when you're not there. I was like, ah, that's so funny. Um, so I, I have to ask as well, you know, we've heard Jodie's leaving, we know Chris is leaving. There's been no word about your plans. I mean, you know, w- would you stay on? Is it something you'd be interested in doing? 100%. Like, we, no one, we don't know where, like, the specials and that are heading for everyone's character. You know, we haven't mm. completed it all. But I've loved every minute of the journey and actually that'd be sometime in the in the future that that would happen. But I'd never say, I'd, I'd never say never. Mm. And, but you also never know. With this with this series, a lot of the why it works is because there are a lot of secrets and a lot of revelation and it's really exciting. And that's actually what people love is that they don't know what's around the corner, but they always get to guess. They're like, oh, I think this yeah. is what you know, we might have seen this monster in Cardiff. But that is also part of why it works so well is we don't really know where it's heading and the audience is so open what's great about dot two is the audience are so open to old and new characters all the time they don't need new whole new cast every time it starts with a new doctor but at the same time when that does happen like it did happen for us they're also massively on board with that yeah so this, this that what they've set up and what works just leaves this show open to so many options And thank you very much, Mandip. Uh, always great to talk to her. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens to her in the rest of the series. Mm. But we can talk about that in a minute. We've got to talk about Once Upon Time. So I've got to say, I was apprehensive about this episode. Mm. I had my worries. I think we talked about this maybe even last week. I can't remember. But I was a little bit like, you know... It feels like it's going to be kind of a slightly weird flashbacky, but the flashbacks aren't quite right episode. And you know what? I was right. <laughs> you were, you were uh, wrong. I was pretty spot on. But I do think it's a funny one because they're definitely... It, I feel like this episode might be a bit divisive. I feel like mm. some people are going to really like it. Some people aren't going to like it. I think we both liked it. Yep. 
yeah but um i'll be interested to see what the kind of you know what whatever people think and the kind of wide consensus you know as it comes out over you know after the episode you know people have had a bit of time to think about it i'll be interested to see mm. where it kind of will sit in the grand who canon because it kind of reminded me what you said about the halloween apocalypse in that there's a lot in it and there are some bits that I think are really good and some bits that I was less impressed by. But I guess the difference this time is that they are all kind of roughly the same story, right? Yeah, well, what was interesting about it for me was having said that I wasn't as keen on Halloween Apocalypse because it it was um, sort of like a disparate bag of elements and it didn't all quite fit together. And I preferred War of the Sontarans because it had more of a uh, standalone feel and a kind of solid uh, A plot. This episode is al- is almost entirely arc, right? It's, it's, mm. it's all... Um, it, 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 it's all about the, kind of the the broader arc of the series and kind of ex- delving a little bit into the the Doctor's past and also uh, the origins of the Flux. There's some there's some hints around that as well. Um, but for me, it it just held together a lot better. I think what really propelled this episode. Well, I think a lot a lot of great performances in this episode, which I'm sure we'll touch upon. Um, but this episode just felt really high stakes mm. to me, and I think that's you know the the drama just really kind of resonated with me on that. Like going back into the into the Doctor's past and learning uh, more about the time that the Fugitive Doctor spent with the Division, um, everything that was kind of happening with the Flux, and there's there's um, we get some we get some you know there's still mysteries unfolding, but there's we get some real answers for the first time. There's some big reveals. Um, it just it for me this one just kind of like propelled itself along there was you know i was never bored uh watching once upon a time it it was just kind of big moment after big moment and it kept me hooked definitely like there definitely the bits where i was like oh wow this is really really cool like the bit with um john bishop and uh i can't remember the the actress who plays diane um and basically they were like nadia something nadia curtis maybe uh they were you know doing that scene where they're walking around and he's sort of like wait what's going on what is this Mm. and then it's like it's suddenly nighttime and they're somewhere else and he's getting like that was really creepy it was very dreamlike it was like a nightmare and i thought that's a really cool thing and i was a little disappointed that that kind of you know that does sort of fade away and you just have the doctor sort of popping in every now and again but they did manage to keep elements of that throughout i think and i think one of the real interesting things about this episode it's something we talked a bit about for the first episode where one of the great things about flux as a serial kind of story is they can kind of drop things in they don't have to commit to sort of making a big deal of it so for example Mm. daleks turn up in this episode for like a couple of minutes and they're like oh yeah the daleks are there who needs to see them though lame moving on it's like casually it's a a real sort of power move just dropping the daleks Mm. in as like a sort of an extra essentially but it, but it does give a kind of also just briefly. I like the fact that the Daleks were floating, and I don't know if yeah. anyone will ever. If I don't know if everyone will notice that, but the Daleks, you know, they weren't like levitating high up in the sky, but they were just a little, a few inches off the ground, which I, I like. That I reckon detail. there were some debates about that because it was grass, and they were like, "Can Daleks do grass?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just get yeah, just get stuck on the ground. Yeah, but no, I think. Um, I think having the Daleks you know, briefly pop up and, and a reference to the Sontarans and the Cybermen, I quite like it. It gives the Doctor Who universe, which can seem quite kind of ramshackle and all over the place and, you know, continuity doesn't always make, make sense. It gives it a sense of, like, cohesion, that this is like an mm. actual living, breathing universe. And although the, the Doctor kind of zips all about through time and space, that, you know, like I say, there is a kind of cohesive world here where, with all these alien, and things happen when the Doctor isn't there. Um, and I actually really enjoyed... Um, the the bell scenes actually. I think I think it's pretty it's pretty obvious where it's where it's going. You know, but I was so, I was surprised. I did not know that's where it was going. So I, I'm very gullible. Okay. I didn't pick it up at all. I think maybe because um, so I I interviewed Thaddeus Graham last year for the Irregulars. Um, mm. and obviously I watched her in that show uh, which if you know I don't think a lot of people saw it but if you didn't see it it's like a kind of uh, young street kids helping Sherlock Holmes solve mysteries kind of thing but also there's loads of monsters in it um, and so in that she plays like a teenager and so I kind of just had her as being a lot younger mm. than Vinda so I genuinely was like I'm going to google these actors ages afterwards to see if this is, <laughs> is a bit weird is this a actually it's, yeah. it's not weird she's like 24 he's like 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's perfectly yeah. fine i was just a bit like because I, I know this is really weird i was just a bit like what um but it's because my image of her is from that other show where she plays like yeah. a kid and and he obviously and you know jacob anderson this obviously is playing quite a like sort of i don't know he's been around career the career soldier times character yeah. yeah 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 but no i was actually you know maybe i'm just really gullible but no, it's so funny you said 
it's really obvious where it's going. I had no idea where it was going. I was like, oh, who's this person? And she's like, I was like, oh yeah, they did talk about his family a lot. And he sent a message to somebody. I probably could have pieced that together, but I just did not, I did not piece it together at all. <laughs> oh, sorry. Was there you go. No, but I, I thought, I thought um, her, her performance was really kind of you know, fun and compelling. And like, it wasn't, even though there is a, a lot going on in this episode, lots of disparate elements, it wasn't as with Halloween Apocalypse where I was like, ah, oh, I want to get back to the Weeping Angels. Mm. So I want to see more, more of that. Like, I found each each and every uh, plot thread intriguing in its own way. Well, so they each had their own why... thing, didn't they? Like Yaz had the, Yaz's one was probably the least sort of like uh, important to the story, but had the Weeping Angels element which, you know, that was her selling point. Dan had the kind of creepiness and obviously, you know, the whole sort of weird Diane thing. And then the Doctor, you know, rediscovering her past. The other thing I wanted to say about casually dropping stuff in is the fact that Joe Martin comes back. Like, And, you know, you sort of, it's like a sudden thing. Like, we didn't know if she was in this series at all. Um, and then she's suddenly back as the Fugitive Doctor. Kind of there, kind of not. Um, but and I wrote this on the website. I actually really like that, partly because I love seeing Joe Martin. I think she's great. But also it's just, it's like a nice sign that like, it kind of felt, you know, there's a thing in with Doctor Who Flux where you're a bit like, but all these new strands keep being introduced and you're like, God, how are they going to, you know, fit that with that and that with that? And actually the fact that, you know, Swarm and Azure are from that missing bit of the Doctor's past, which we kind of could probably assume. It's kind of nice, but it's dovetailing in that way. You, you sort of feel taken care of as a fan. You're like, no, no, it's fine. It'll all work out. <laughs> But I, always, I also think it's a really smart way to bring the future of Doctor back, right? Because after the last series and those big revelations and Joe Martin's performance going down so well, all fans wanted her back, right? Um, but the, the question is, like, how do you loop that character back into the, the story? Do you kind of have to make great leaps of logic to bring her back? But so having... We already know the Doctor is... is pursuing answers about her past and so the way in which they bring her back through sort of flashbacks i think makes mm. more sense than having the doctor run into the fugitive doctor again totally, and playing out totally, that way. yeah it's it's very it's it's very smart and i like the kind of little visual clue of like the doctor's coat which we'd, we'd sort of seen beforehand the doctor's mm. wearing a different coat as being like this is the doctor in a different skin you're just not quite you know realizing that yet and i i i, I clocked that dan was carvanista pretty early on to be fair because they make some reference to him being a dog. And I was like, well, that's obviously what you do if you're kind of doing that. I, I don't know whether it will be important who the Vinder and Yaz soldiers were or whether they, they were just generic. Um, yeah. But, you know, maybe we'll it's find out. It's interesting, though. I, I, I've written a, a, a little feature on, on RadioTimes.com, which you can read now, which is about how um, th those Doctor flashback scenes felt to me like, again, not only have fans been asking for Joe Martin to return, there's also been uh, demand for a Fugitive Doctor spin-off, give Joe mm. Martin her own spin-off. And probably unlikely, you know, given that we know the, the Chris Chibnall era is, uh, is, is wrapping up and Russell T. Davies is going to want to do his own thing. Um, that said, I think this episode gives us a taste of what that might be like. This might be as close as we ever get, Big, fi big Finish notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> th th this might be as close as we ever get to a Fugitive Doctor spin-off. It's a, This is what the show would be like if it was about the Doctor as part of the Division, uh, you know, hunting down time anomalies and monsters across time and space. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, the flip side of what you said is the Chris Chibnall era is over. That means Big Finish will be allowed to do the Fugitive Doctor <laughs> as a spin-off if they want to, presumably. Uh, That's so, you the know, way to think about this, it. Watch this yeah. space. Yeah, no, I, I like I liked that a lot. I like that stuff. But, like, you know, I did also enjoy the others. I think, weirdly, the thing that surprised me was probably Vinder's story. Like, it, it wasn't surprising in terms of that is pretty much what I would have imagined happened to him, is that he was, yeah. like, a whistleblower or, like, he hauled something out and got a terrible assignment because of it. But I think it works because Craig Parkinson is so sinister <laughs> in everything that he does. Well, not everything that he does, but it, when he plays those roles. And they're great. I wrote in my notes, uh, great slimy villain music. You know, in the background. I mean, yeah. I mean, they should have known he was a wrong one when he was calling himself the Great Serpent, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I actually quite liked getting that backstory to Vinda, sort of seeing how he ended up there. The one thing I do wonder is now, like, you kind of, we know that, and like, we see, you know, Bell's heading off around the universe looking for him. He's going to try and look for her. I'm now interested, as you say, how that's going to kind of tie back in, because it feels like you could almost cut Vinda adrift now to do his mm. thing. It's hard to know how he kind of ties back in with the Who team. Obviously, he's got that little, you know, thingamajig that he can call the Doctor on. But um, I'll be interested to see, well, kind of, I guess their story matters because they're victims of the Flux, right? Maybe they're trying to show, um, you know, What's the word I'm looking for? I guess the sort of real effects, the real people affected mm. by it, rather than just this generic, oh, this bad thing might happen. Um, but I'll be interested to see what, basically, 
not in a negative way. I'm like, why is Vinder's story important? Why is it being mm. brought so much to the forefront? And I think it is important, and I think we'll find out. I'm just curious to see why that is. What I've really enjoyed about Flux so far is that it does feel like it has real heart to it in mm. a way that was maybe lacking a little bit in, in previous um, you know, series from the from the Chibnall era. We've talked about how um, the, the, the serialised storytelling has allowed, you know, slightly more development of character um, and also how the new TARDIS team dynamic works really well with, you know, it's less of a flat structure because you've got the Doctor <laughs> and then you've got Yaz as the experienced traveller um, and then Dan as the, the, the newbie, the wide-eyed newbie. And I think the, the relationship between Belle and Vinder, but also between Dan and die it just it feels like every character has a an, an emotional attachment mm. which and, and like a credible emotional attachment that's being built up over these episodes which wasn't really the case with um uh, with with you know companions of the past where like obviously graham had an emotional attachment but it was it was sort of sporadically referenced and the same with ryan and and and, it, and his and his family members um and even like yaz and her family it's great to see her sister back in this episode but like it's kind of like touched on and then left and where whereas this you know we're, we're actually seeing those relationships we're sticking with them and we're seeing them develop and to me it just feels it feels like it's added a little bit of the the the, the, the missing heart or hearts back into doctor who very nice. Uh, I, I actually, on a side note, I enjoyed that Yaz appeared to be playing an official Doctor Who tie-in game, uh, like Edge of Reality or Edge of Time or something. <laughs> like it isn't one of those because the, that scene doesn't appear in it. But I like, but it was like a video game res Weeping Angel mm. that becomes a real one. Uh, that was quite cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I do think there's a bit of heart in it, and I think there's a bit of edge as well. Like the fact that the, I mean, the Doctor just keeps on yelling at Yaz for no reason. Um, but I kind of like that that's continuing. Like you know, uh, clearly she's a bit defensive if she could share this but also you can tell she's getting a bit annoyed at having to justify herself you know to somebody i like that it's nice to have a bit of tension in the tardis as well as the usual kind of like fun and games because i think yaz and the doctor's relationship has had such a lot of potential in the series mm. that i felt was quite unexplored they sort of touch on it a bit in um series 12 and in revolution of the daleks that kind of yaz being really dependent on the doctor and i think actually yaz now challenging the doctor a bit more and the doctor getting a bit annoyed by it is a really good development of that and I, i'm pleased that you know before they stopped we got to see jodie whittaker and mandip gill kind of play with that a little bit more yeah, no, and I think this series and this episode in particular actually gave Jodie Whittaker some really great material to work mm. with. And it's it's probably one of my favourite Jodie Whittaker performances, actually, this episode. Um, just because you're seeing... She gets to do the kind of, you know, the the, the hero stuff where she's trying to um, solve, you know, a million problems all at once. But then there's also this kind of, like, edge of desperation um, yeah. to the Doctor. The, the scene where she's begging the Maury, like, no, let me stay. And then when she gets pulled out of that that memory and then she's kind of like say snapping at Yaz and stuff it's the the, the Jodie Whittaker doctor is this kind of more so than other doctors in some ways like this big ball of like energy and, and fun so when she does get to play those moments as I've said before where she's a bit more steely and a bit less approachable I think it works really well um and you get to see a lot of that here definitely yeah I think that Last week as well with the War of the Santarans, I think that was definitely more of a good performance for Jodie Whittaker. I think we've always said this, to be fair, even um, in the last few series, she does sometimes do better on her own than when she's with companions um, in terms of like when she's sort of sent, you know, she's separated from them in the story and sort of doesn't have them to look after. She definitely delivers the goods. But I think actually in this series, even with the, the, the sort of extra people, she's still really sort of being quite assertive and being, you know, very doctory yeah. and I'm enjoying it. But like I liked as well, to be fair, you know, I've got to, uh, do a brief apology I think for um, something because last week uh, I'm pretty sure certainly in print and possibly on this podcast I complained about the next time trailers spoiling um, the action of you know whatever the cliffhanger was last week and to be fair the thing I particularly cited was that you see you know uh, swarm about to zap Yaz to death and then you see her fine in the next episode hanging out with the others and actually, that isn't what we were seeing. We were seeing, you know, the consequences of that happening. And it was, you know, not entirely a spoiler in the way that I thought. So, you know, mea culpa. Sorry about that. You know, I should have had more faith. 
as uh, Matt Strevens said of a new Doctor Who magazine, we should have had some trust in the show. Mm. Uh, not, not he wasn't talking specifically about that. He was talking about something else. <laughs> I don't he think just he, launched an attack on you. He was like, Doctor and Who this magazine. Hugh guy, right, said this. No, um, he was talking about episode three being quite ambitious. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I was actually quite pleased with there were sort of consequences, and also the fact that the Doctor had like a good idea for how to you know get out of everything like this is stuff that you know you kind of can take for granted but it's you know credit where credit's due speaking of by the way i mentioned a second ago it's a really ambitious story um how do you think it's going to go down in terms of there is obviously some people who like might say it was quite complicated this is something that struck me like i thought this in last week as well for stuff with the mori and things like that and with this with all the sort of dream stuff where you have characters playing other characters who we've not met and so on do you think that some people are just going to be a bit like what's going on with this or do you think it's kind of pulled through enough I, for me, I was watching it, and he, and I, there were points where I was going, not hundred percent sure I understand what's going on here, but I am enjoying it. I, yeah. I think, I think it kind of, I think there's a, a tendency maybe to overanalyze this stuff a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I tend to watch Doctor Who with someone who is, who is not, uh, you know, likes the show, but is not what, what you'd call like a super fan. Um, and sometimes when I'm watching an episode, going, is that too? complicated will will normal people understand this and she's just like well yeah no it was fine it was just fun i enjoy, i just enjoyed it and the performances were and i think that might be the case here where doctor who fans are, might think oh this is too complicated and and and, and non fans won't understand it whereas non-fans are just carried along by the fact that there's you know there's incident and intrigue and excitement and and, and john bishop with a laser gun you know, I, I i think I, f- I feel like it'll probably i think i feel like it probably works in in the way that like for me again halloween apocalypse what maybe didn't hold together and was just a bit confusing i feel like this one is is kind of stronger narratively and it's kind of like you say there is a lot going on but every single um plot strand has something that kind of carries it so the mm. doctor's flashbacks are kind of for long-time viewers you have the kind of uh, some more payoffs to the to the mystery of the doctor's past and the division and then the john bishop scenes early on at least you have the kind of like say the nightmarish quality which uh, sort of put me in mind of um forest of the dead and the scenes with um with catherine tate um mm, yeah it's kind of a, a similar vibe and that's, then a, the really good, that's a really good comparison yeah Quite similar. And then the Yaz scenes, you know, you have the Weeping Angels. Um, and then the Vinder storyline, which could potentially have been maybe like the the one that's the most dry because it's kind of just like filling in his backstory and we don't we're not as familiar with that character. But then you have what you do there is re- again is really smart is you cast a really great guest actor in in Craig Parkinson. So it's like, oh, it's the guy from Line of Duty and he's being slimy. And you know, it kind of that kind of lifts that. So I, I feel like it kind of it does Again, it's more more cohesive and it does kind of hold together better, despite there being a lot going on. Speaking of Craig Parkinson, I love that his key thing was to do with um, not recording, essentially, a meeting, which is the total line of duty thing, you know, for the, DA, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the purpose yeah. of a DAR, I've just threatened to have some enemies bumped off. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, you know, speaking of Craig Parkinson, I'm quite interested in his character because we don't quite learn Vinder's full story in terms of, I don't really understand who he was working for, like, whatever thing it was we do kind of there were obviously theories before that vinda was like a time lord or something or from gallifrey which you know has been disproven but um, i'm quite interested because it seems like we've seen other shots of craig parkinson um in the series which suggests that the great serpent will return which you'd also expect given you know you cast craig parkinson so i'm quite interested to see where that story is going to go maybe vinda's going to run into him in another episode while he's hunting down bell and maybe get some revenge or something i don't know um but yeah, I'm quite intrigued to see more of him. Um, like, he was very good, and it feels like, you know, you get Craig Parkinson, you want to use him a bit more. Although they did kill Stephen Fry off after, like, 10 minutes. So, <laughs> who knows? No, but, th- but th- this is exactly it, right? Is that um, one of the benefits of, of the serialized structure, which they which they did talk about, is the fact that you can spend more time with characters. Mm. So, like, and that's a, that's a problem. Like, it's sort of like a, you know, champagne problem for Doctor Who, that you get these amazing guest stars but often they'll have like you know three scenes and then uh, you know people have talked about actors like in the past like um jason watkins and rebecca front and, and you know those people in particular who are really great actors but only got like a couple of lines almost on doctor who because it's such a fast-paced show and you're in you're out and it's a it's a it's a one-off story whereas with this like as, as good as craig parkinson was in this episode if that was all we were going to see of him i'd be a little bit disappointed and say did the show make the most of craig parkinson but actually as you say there's the potential 
um, to bring him to bring him back. And also, the other thing that was really talked up in terms of the serialized structure and, and how it benefits Doctor Who is the cliffhangers. And uh, Chris yes. Chibnall said, "Chris Chibnall said, oh, some of the best cliffhangers of all time.'" And you sort of go, "Yeah, yeah, of course he'd say that." But actually, I have to say, all three cliffhangers so far have been really, really strong. They've just they've just gone mad with it, like in a really good way. If they've just been like, yeah. "Why not just do a crazy cliffhanger every week?" Like you might as well. Like it, it, it will pull people through, and they've all been really fun. Like you say, like this week's one is really good with the uh, the angel taking control of the TARDIS. Like that's the a, angel that's, has a, that's the TARDIS. little yeah, that's yeah. a little. That's a little uh, bit of wish fulfillment for fans, I think. But you you also think like even if Doctor Who goes back to a non serialized structure and they're more you know the episodes are more standalone, there's no reason why every episode because cliffhangers are kind of integral to Doctor Who and what people love about it. I think why not end every episode with a cliffhanger that tees up the next story? Yeah. So this let's say that episode three had been a totally standalone story. Um, and then at the end of the episode, a weeping angel turns up in the TARDIS, and you're like, "Whoa!" And then that key, you know that tees up the next one. Yeah, yeah, it, could, yeah. it, it could it could it could maintain that cliffhanger structure without telling a serialized story necessarily. I am quite excited for next week's episode. By the way, in terms of it, does look a bit like um, I mean, it looks great. Like it just mm. looks exactly what I want from a Weeping Angel yeah. episode. Um, yeah. It's it's you know 1967. It's like a creepy town. People are going to go missing. It's like oh we've got to prevent this horrible thing happening. Kevin McNally going I will not blink or something. Yeah, uh, it's, it looks great. Um, and I, I I'm kind of hoping not that I'm not enjoying the flux stuff. And I I know that there's stuff in this episode that will lead to that. But I'm kind of hoping that this is another one and maybe a little like War of the Sontarans where the standalone story itself is quite exciting and interesting mm. and like atmospheric and then i i'm wondering if maybe the the vibe is this is the only episode next week's now one now um that is a co-written one with maxine alderton uh, chris chibnall wrote all the others himself and i'm kind of wondering if maybe they maxine alderton wrote the angels stuff and chris chibnall kind of wrote the whatever the flux stuff is in the episode mm. like if azure turns up and goes like mm, having some fun are we or whatever you know uh like i imagine he'll be doing those bits because um i i, I mean this is again speculation but I have a little pet theory, as as I've maybe said before, that, you know, we do see the ruins of the non-COVID Doctor Who series 13 mm. in this series. And I think Maxine Alderton's Weeping Angels episode was probably a pretty early lock, as yeah. was the Sontarans meet Mary Seacole. I think those were probably the two ideas that were in the early stages. They kind of brought those over. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm excited. It was a really good cliffhanger. Um, I will say that before we get too much into the future, we should probably talk a little bit about the Doctor's memories in the Division, right? Because that's like mm. one of, I suppose, the biggest bits of this episode. We've talked about Joe Martin coming back. The fact that suddenly, I it's obviously a, a moment ripe for kind of revealing some of the missing memories the Doctor had. We kind of, we see, you know, that clash she had with Swarm and Azure, which was sort of hinted at before in the Temple of Atropos and how they stopped them. Um we also saw Swarm was still looking like he did uh, when he was hanging out on that moon or whatever. So he definitely got a, a bit of a, a makeover um, in the first episode. Uh, as you look the same, you know, she she had a good guy, did some good work for her. Um, but we sorry, know, but we know, we know, we know now why she's on. She was on Earth looking like Rashenda Sandal. Presumably, the division put her there. Yeah, that was like jail. Like they, they were like, okay, you're gonna like go and have a nice husband and like hang out, um, and like you are gonna be tied to this post on a moon. <laughs> like it's yeah. a bit random, but I guess I was reading in Doctor Who magazine to be fair before this, and I think they said like that is maybe like the idea is that's the worst punishment for her is like having a nice human life or something. Yeah, or maybe yeah, that was yeah, what yeah. her lawyer pitched to them. He was like, oh, she'll hate this. Oh no, awful, awful. She hate to be. To- yeah. She'd hate to be married to Lloyd from the Demon Headmaster. It'll be yeah, her specifically. Absolute... If Lloyd from the yeah. Demon Headmaster's involved, she's going to kick kick up a, all manner of fuss. Uh, yeah. So, oh, she'd love being tied to a big stick with a force field around <laughs> it. Oh my god, that's a Sunday afternoon for her. Gee whiz. Uh, so yeah, no, I <laughs> I thought that was uh, that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did think it's quite interesting to see that backstory for the Doctor and to have it tied to the Joe Martin storyline, as I said, and also kind of. It was quite interesting to see that side of her, like being a bit more, I don't know how intentional it was, but it was definitely Jodie Whittaker was obviously being a bit more aggressive in that scene. And I think that was obviously like a sort of nod to the fact that the Ruth slash fugitive doctor is kind of a bit more like that. And I found it really interesting that they actually had that doctor talking back to her because they couldn't just have her like sinking and out. Like she actually talks to the doctor and insults her again. (laughs) Um, Couldn't resist. I found that quite fun. 
Yeah, no, I really enjoyed all that stuff. And then also, you know, there's another mystery laid on top once you get, once the Doctor escapes her memories of this character um, who's called Orsock, according to the, to God, the end you know, I, you know what? I completely forgot about that. Good point. <laughs> played by played by Barbara Flynn it's almost you know it's it's thrown in there um a bit like the uh I'm gonna call it the Lung Barrow House from last mm. week it's probably not the Lung Barrow House um if you don't know what I'm talking about again just just look up Doctor Who Lung Barrow Radio Times um and you'll be able to find our our, our explainer on that fan theory um but it, that scene's just kind of thrown in there where um Orsock Barbara Flynn says that um the, the flux was essentially, well, ma- not, maybe not man-made, but certainly sort of created with a purpose and created because of the Doctor. The Doctor is somehow hmm. responsible for the flux. Yeah, I, I, was, a bit con- I was quite confused <laughs> by that. Um, she also said the flux is a matter of space and now we need to do something to time. That was a whole thing, wasn't it, with Swarm so, as well? Like the, yeah, space versus but- time. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah, when I talked earlier about there are parts of this episode where I just kind of glazed over, but I was still having a nice time. That those are the moments for me where where they start talking about how they the, the there's the planet time and it's at war with space and the flux is a spatial anomaly. So they that was so the flux was disrupting space and then there's little the, blue things, the, the the little blue things, the particles and the ravagers were released to disrupt time. So it's kind of like you know a little a little joint project that they're working on. Um, <laughs> that was where I was kind of like I, I got no idea what's going on here. I still have, like I say still having a nice time, still enjoying it, but like that's where it, it it the weaker parts of the episode for me where it got a bit too bogged down in in kind of in, in technobabble. To be honest, I completely deleted that from my mind. Like I, 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 when you brought it up, I was like, "Oh yeah, that was the whole thing, wasn't it?" I was just thinking yeah. about you know weepy angels and stuff. Yeah, no, I'm quite intrigued by that. Like it sort of makes sense, I guess. I guess it's like if you're trying to take down the universe. One thing that I had thought was the flux happened in episode one, or bit uh, we saw some of the flux, and then like they're obviously able to like go back and forward in time and just avoid it essentially. So I think maybe the idea is that like in a world where time travel exists and is, you know, used by a few different people, they want something that will disrupt the flow of time so you can't just... So the universe will be destroyed in all times as well as in all places. I'm guessing that's the idea. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's entirely sort of said that way or whether I'm kind of drawing a few uh, conclusions. I think, I think that makes sense. I mean, Doctor Who's already done the end of time, so now the only thing you can do bigger is the end of time and space. you got to do both. It's also like, you know, it's like a, it's a little sort of riff on the TARDIS isn't it you know it's like you know travels in time and space you mm. know space, it's a matter of it's only a matter of time and space as we often write on radiotimes.com because I can't I'm not a very imaginative person um but yeah no I do find all that a little confusing and Orsock as you say who sounds like some sort of university like uh club you know, <laughs> it really does. society like Orsock it's like yeah for rowers um, <laughs> um she is interesting because it's sort of like maybe she's the ultimate kind of big bad and the ravagers are mm. just kind of like lackeys i will say swarm and asia were slightly harder to take seriously once they got taken out by carvanista <laughs> like i do like carvanista but like he just shot them with his he, cubes and i was like what you can just do that <laughs> Even you, as the number one Carvanista fan, were like Carvanista could take out Swarm and Azura. He could take out the Ravagers. No, that did seem to be the um, the, the the suggestion here is that maybe Orsok is the big bad, but certainly um, the the Ravagers are more like a like a sideshow, a distraction. They're they're actually like they they were. I think she says uh, something like a. a um, a, a temporal contagion. Um, That's and so it, they yeah, like a poison so, for time. Yeah, sent out to do a very specific job, but they're not actually the ones pulling the strings here. Some Someone else is, whether that be Orsok or a different character. To be fair, we weren't sure like what made Swarm suddenly get released, to be fair. like That's never really been clear. So maybe... Good point. Yeah, so maybe that is what we were seeing. Like We just saw him break out and we were like, oh, he's done something here. Because he says, like, I waited, I planned, and now I'm going to execute, was his line, which is very cool. Uh, but like, I'm like, you didn't do anything. <laughs> like, clearly someone else just opened, like, turned the key for you. Um, but the other thing he says is, like, they knew the Doctor was going to do what she did in this episode, jumping back into the time stream, saving them. And then the, the course of that helped them do whatever they want to do, which is file not found. Uh, you know it's like yeah. i'm not quite sure what it is it's like they're are they the blue things are sort of theirs and they're, they're they obviously jump around in all the weird timelines we see including bell's story which isn't a timeline thing that's just happening you see those sort of blue mites that you know fly around eating people so i'm guessing maybe that's part of it i assumed it was a kind of timey wimey thing again where the what the doctor did 
or, uh, or or what Swarm did, and then the Doctor did that disrupted time, which is what's which is what the Ravagers wanted. The after effects of the dis- disruption were the blue particles, which then went back in time and all over the universe and started, you know, eating people because they don't actually turn up. I think I'm right in saying they don't actually turn up in the Temple of Atropos until the no. end of the episode. After the, you know, after in the in that timeline, the Doctor has has done that. So what the Doctor's actions and and the Ravagers' actions were what caused those particles to, to to go on the rampage previously. That's why I understood from it. This but. is quite, you know, earlier when I was like, you know, oh, is it too confusing? Now I'm, I'm rethinking, you know, I'm thinking maybe it is a bit confusing. But, but I think also, to be fair, there's loads of stuff in last week's episode where I was like, I don't know what that means. And I kind of do get it, like things with like the Maury and Swarm and stuff. I kind of do get that now. So I think maybe yeah. I'll have a little faith and, you know, let it be explained as, as it goes on, maybe. There you go, and I, I also think you know it's worth remembering. Most people don't think about it as much as, as much as we do. <laughs> yeah. Most most people just let it kind of glaze over. Like it's only if you stop and think about it and analyze it, as we do on this podcast, that you go, "Did that make sense?" And what's going on here, and so on. But you know that's the that's the job of a Doctor Who fan, isn't it? Swarm's trying to destroy the universe. That's it. Like that's all you need to. Uh, the Doctor's yeah. going to stop him. There's time and space stuff. That's it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll be interested to see you know next week's episode uh, what. Uh, what kind of gets carried over from the Flux storyline, what is standalone. I'm quite intrigued to see it. They ain't, they see, they've clearly tried to tie the Weeping Angels in to what's going on with time, um, which is interesting. So yeah, I'll be really interested to see that. And obviously we'll be here reviewing that as per. Um, but before that, uh, we have one final bit of the podcast uh, to do, which is our weekly uh, section, which you know should be weekly because it's called Controversial Question of the Week. Uh, roll Jingle. Question of the week. Lovely jingle. I just love hearing my big echoey voice every week. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, so uh, this week for Controversial Question of the Week, we were inspired by the presence of lots of classic monsters uh, in this episode. The Cybermen obviously were back, uh, and the Daleks and the Weeping Angels. Uh, you know, is there is there, is there ever a time to retire a Doctor Who monster is the controversial question. Now, we've discussed this on previous iterations of this podcast, whether the Daleks should be put to bed. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking in general, partially inspired by the fact that when I was um, talking about this series with some friends who haven't watched Doctor Who in a long time, they knew the Weeping Angels were coming back for this series, uh, that bit of marketing cut through, and they were like, oh, they've always just bring back old monsters. They're bringing back the Weeping Angels again. And I was sort of amused. I was like, the Weeping Angels have been in it like four times. <laughs> like, mm. they're not in it like that much. But then I guess it's one of those things where like, from their perspective, instantly I do have a little Weeping Angel here. Uh, the image of an angel becomes an angel, so watch out. Um, yeah, basically, I do wonder whether... It's a strange one because that first series of Jodie Whittaker's, which didn't have any returning monsters, I felt like that didn't quite work. Mm. But I do think there's a point where, you know, when you bring back the Master, you know, like a not very long after the Master was last around, you bring back the Daleks like over and over and over again, the Cybermen and the Angel stuff. Is there like a cutoff point or, you know, is there kind of no answer to it? Because you need these kind of shop window monsters to bring people in. But also, you know, it gets a bit tired and it's hard to come up with new ideas about them. I mean, by shop window monsters, you don't just mean the Autons. It's just make that clear. Hey. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. What I, you know, the reason we decided to have this be our controversial question of the week um, this week, at least in part, was because of of Bell going on a kind of um, tour of the Rogues Gallery of Doctor Who, mm. right? And I actually think that's an interesting approach. Where um, it, it, I think it's it's again not only because it creates a kind of sense of a cohesive doctor who universe um but also it's fun right to just throw the daleks in there throw the cybermen in there it's yeah. a like nice little mo- nice little moment for fans that said it's it's difficult i think to come up with a really great dalek story every single series um and and you know if you bring back the daleks every year if you bring back the cybermen every year if you bring back the master every year um it's 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 tough it can become it can start to feel tired and it starts to lose its novelty as well as you say um it's kind of it's 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 less it's less exciting if they're if they're always around the corner. You kind of need to let them rest for a little bit. I don't think there's any Doctor Who monster you want to retire permanently, um, mm. except maybe yeah. like you know some of some of the naff ones that we won't, <laughs> I won't name and shame. But like you know the classics, you kind of don't. Why would you retire them permanently? It's more a question of like how long do you rest them so that it's exciting enough when they return, um, or at least return in full force. Because I do like the idea of something like this, where um, you can have a Dalek or Daleks just sort of pop up 
briefly. Um, and to, you know, they're still out there, but this isn't a Dalek story. You know, this isn't a Dalek story or a Cyberman story um, or, or really a Weeping Angel story, but they're all in it. Um, and, and I like that idea of kind of touching base with these monsters without necessarily making them the focus. I agree. I think it's their best used sparingly sometimes. Yeah. I reminded me a bit of, um, I think, A Good Man Goes to War when Rory kind of hangs out with all the Cybermen on their cyber ships. And they're not really in the episode, but it kind of, like you say, it makes the universe feel big and kind of lived in. And like there's yeah. actually stuff going on beyond whatever the Doctor's up to. And I think that's really interesting. Like the Daleks in being in this really surprised me in a fun way. Like we have heard rumors um, about the Daleks being back. Um, clearly there were correct rumors. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I liked them in kind of the background here and the way the Cybermen was used as well. I like, you know, it's the new design that we had in the last series, but them just being kind of the default Cybermen doing their Cyberman thing out in space. I enjoyed, I was sad not to see the Sontarans, their name checked, but they're not, um, physically in this episode. I guess maybe they thought it was a bit too much. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, the Weeping Angels are a bit of a different kettle of fish because we haven't actually had a story with them for a while. It feels like we've seen them more recently than we have, but in terms of like a story, a Doctor Who story where they're like the main villains, the last one was in like 2012, I think. Yeah. Whereas like, obviously we've had, they popped up briefly in class and they've had cameos, you know, even last year in, um, well, actually, no, this year, I suppose, in, um, Revolution of the Daleks, um, you know, there's one in that. And then you see a couple of them in some of Peter Capaldi's episodes sort of knocking about but we haven't seen them properly but then it's funny to me that the perception from people who don't watch the show much is like oh god here's another returning monster do you know what I mean it's like it's yeah. like I don't know what you do there really like the Weeping Angels are a monster that have been fairly lightly used and also you know are still one that people find quite scary even if you're quite a sort of casual viewer but even them, it's like people are a bit like, oh, can they not come up with something new? And it's like, well, no, they do come up with new stuff all the time. It's just you don't like it as much. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, this is it as well. It's like, the, why do you bring back those monsters? Because people like them, right? So yeah. I, I, I think as well with the Weeping Angels, like it's because the Daleks have been around for as lo- almost as long as Doctor Who has been around. To take them as an example, it's hard to write an original Dalek story to do something that's mm. not been done with them before. Whereas the Weeping Angels are still, as you say, Doctor Who has used them relatively lightly. They're still a young monster in that yeah. sense. They haven't appeared in that many stories. And the thing that occurred to me watching Once Upon Time, actually, was like, you don't really know a huge amount, right, about the Weeping Angels. And I'm not sort of counting here, like, stuff that may have been revealed in, I don't know, comic strips and novels and all kinds of, you know, wiki pages. But, like, in terms of what you've seen on screen, you don't really know a huge amount about their origins. You don't really know a huge amount about, like, their their capabilities and their powers. So, like, in this episode where a weeping angel can just appear in, like, in disrupted time and then kind of, like, hunt you through time um, and then clearly can can break into the TARDIS. Um, and, you know, maybe there's something else at play here, but it's, like, the weeping angel's actually, like, are more powerful than just an alien force that pops up on on your street and then sends you back in time, which was very much the kind of the very simple, brilliant premise of Blink. That was kind of it, and then it evolved with um, you know, with the in series five with the whole you know, an image of an angel becomes an angel, and you can keep kind of adding to the mythology of the Weeping Angels because their mythology is not that dense at the moment. There's still a lot to discover. I feel like, I mean, the ones in Blink were definitely the B team, weren't they? I mean, they they, they, could, they couldn't do anything. They weren't breaking into the TARDIS or, you know, secretly moving when people weren't looking. They were just like, they, they. I mean, they got tricked into all looking at each other at the same time. And stay yeah, I mean, that's yeah. embarrassing. That's just yeah, like a low them, moment. You get them in a circle and, and it's it, whereas this guy is like, I can break into the TARDIS. Like, yeah, it, it does feel yeah. a little bit like, um, despite that being like one of the all-time great Doctor Who stories, they were actually like slightly rubbish weeping angels. Just yeah, they, were, weren't, they yeah. weren't the top tier guys. They weren't like their <laughs> no. number ones. Um, no. There's a reason that they were stuck on Earth. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, Yeah, no, and I do think it's interesting. Like, apparently, we, we actually had some stuff about this on RadioTimes.com recently because um, apparently that was one of the plans for Class Season 2 was to delve into the weeping angel, like, homeworld and... And, you know, mm. like a civil war and stuff, which is kind of interesting. I do sometimes think it's better to sort of, as with, you know, using the monsters themselves, using and filling in backstory quite sparingly because the Weeping Angels are partly spooky because they're just that. They're like some sort mm. of crazy force, so alien, so much more alien than all the other Doctor Who aliens because they're physically, you know, they're the biology the fictional biology that they have is so like unusual. It's really hard to know what they're, and they never, and they don't really speak apart from Angel mm. Bob. You know, they, it's really hard to know what they kind of want. And that's one of the things that makes them quite scary is even though what they're doing most of the time isn't really that bad. Like it's an, it's, you know, it's, it's annoying, but you live. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, the Doctor says they're the only aliens to kill you kindly in their first appearance. But the thing is, they've got his reputation as being the worst. And, you know, the Sontarans get laughed at. They kill you. Like, the Whippy Angels zap you back to 1954, which isn't great. But they they just look... (laughs) They look scarier, don't they? And they play into... And they play into that kind of that like inherent fear. I think that we, we all have that a statue will will just come to life. That's why they're, why they're scary. But I think you're right in that the mystery is also part of why they're scary. And it's like that with with everything. Like um, I don't know a random example, but the Halloween film franchise, where in the first movie, when Michael Myers is just this masked killer who's stalking you for for reasons unknown, and he just wants to kill you. It's terrifying. In the later sequels, when they try and explain his actions, and it's mm. all the result of some like mystical cult and stuff it's like you over explain motivation and it it stops being scary what's scary is not knowing why something is doing something and that's what's brilliant about the weeping angels so i think i think that's going back to what we were originally talking about i think that's maybe an argument for why you rest the weeping angels or why you use them sparingly because if you use them too much and you explain too much i mean if we've learned anything from the thing you know the timeless child reveals it's that if you have too much mythology to to re to reestablish mystery, you have to kind of throw that mythology out the window, right? Which is probably not something you want to do a lot because it becomes repetitive. Like you kind of want to keep that aura of mystery around the Weeping Angels. I think Flux is actually a really good example of how you can kind of keep bringing back classic Who monsters, but keep it fresh in general. In that, like you can have a Sontaran episode, but it doesn't have to be like the be all and end all. There's other stuff going on. You have the Weeping Angels. You have there's an Ood who we haven't seen yet, who's mm. going to turn up at some point. You know. Maybe he's that guy in the bar who warned Bell about the flux, you know, you never know. Um, and, you know, we've seen Cybermen and stuff. Like, it's all quite cool. Like, you know, it means that they can release a shot in the trailer of Cybermen going, Grr, but they don't actually have to, like, have a whole Cyberman episode. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it works well. And, but then also, alongside them, you can introduce, you know, villains like Swarm and Asia. And I actually think they're really good villains. Like, you know, we've said this before with, um, you know, the current era of Doctor Who, but I do actually feel like they're a really nice addition to kind of the Pantheon. And I feel like they probably will kind of end with this story but you know i wouldn't be sorry to see more of them so yeah i i i think maybe that maybe the answer to the controversial question is like sort of a hodgepodge in the middle of like keep using them but only a bit except when you use them a lot and then maybe try and introduce some new ones but not too much you know really sort of yeah solid messaging no, but it, that's that's why it's a tricky balance. You're exactly right. It's like if you bring back classic monsters too much, you get criticised. If you don't use them enough, people say, "Why haven't we seen those monsters? We love those monsters." So yeah. it is. I think like it is all about kind of like balance and compromise, and like you know, a, a little sprinkling of them here and there, and then and then occasionally you kind of throw focus to them. Um, and it is all it is all about that balance. But I don't think you should ever retire any classic Doctor Who monster completely. Like Doctor Who without the Daleks or the Cybermen is kind of yeah, unthinkable. Why would you do it? Madness. Bring back Vazabi, essentially, is uh, the eventual conclusion of Return this. Return to the web planet. I, wanted, that's, yes. yeah. the, I mean, that sounds that's good. Who, that's who's actually pulling the strings and create the flux. It's 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 the Zarbi. You heard that's, it here first. Yeah, that <laughs> and, l- and last. That's, uh, a, that's, a, that's a fan theory you cannot read on RadioTimes.com. And will not until next week when we get really desperate. Um, anyway, listen, we have definitely reached the end of our time. Uh, it was a bit of a longer episode, but I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week to review uh, Village of the Angels, uh, Doctor mm. Who Flux, episode slash chapter four, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, we will yeah, also have more Who news and another controversial question of the week and all the usual goodies. Um, but yeah, until then, I've been Hugh. I've been Morgan. Uh, and neither of us is going to blink for the next seven days in tribute, and I hope you'll join us. Uh, thanks for listening, and goodbye. Thanks for listening to our Doctor Who podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. And for more brilliant Doctor Who content, check out radiotimes.com. 